Bibles and turn to James, right in the middle of the book. We're going to stand together in just a moment, read the Word. You know, I, I really do appreciate, CJ, your leadership and the leadership of this team, and uh, you guys made an effort to get here this morning, and it really paid off as you led us uh, to uh, worship our great God, and I thank you for that. What keeps you awake at night? My guess is that it's some kind of a thing in which you lack peace. It could be emotional peace that you lack. It could be a physical peace that you lack. Your body is perhaps in pain, disease, lack of peace. For a lot of people, it's uh, financial situations where you are all in inner turmoil and strife. We even have something that we offer from time to time called Financial Peace University. But I'll tell you, for myself through the years, the one thing that has kept me up, as much as anything, is relational peace or the lack of it. I will guarantee if, if I have had words with my wife and we are not walking in relational peace, it is a struggle to get to sleep. I guess that's why Paul says, be angry but do not sin and don't let the sun go down on your anger. There was a... a, a a painting done years ago. The title of the painting is Peace. Now, it's interesting that what uh, inspired this painting, and I, I don't know if you've seen this painting before or have heard of it, can you find anything in the painting that would lead you to title this painting Peace? Because it looks like anything but peace. It looks like utter chaos. The, the, the water just crashing down on the rocks. The, the lightning of the storm in the background. It looks like anything but peace. But the, the, the painter was referring back to a rather obscure story in the book of Exodus chapter 33 where Moses, a sinful man, was wanting to see the glory of God, but he had a problem. He couldn't because of his sinfulness. So God said, this prefigured Christ, I will put you in a place of peace. I will hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand. 
By the way, if you didn't pick up on it, there is this one thing in here, and I'm going to enlarge it in another picture. And this is why, appropriately, this painting is called Peace. It is the picture of biblical peace. Of that dove on her nest, hidden in the cleft of the rock. In fact, that scripture inspired some songs that we have sung through the ages Rock of Ages, cleft for me. And, of course, the old song, He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock by Fanny Crosby. Now, one of the things that I want you to follow as as we read this passage of Scripture is how James is going to outline for us the way through conflict to peace because few things cause more personal pain and damage in the church or for you individually or in your home than strife and discord and division so with that let me ask you to stand and we're going to read together and honey would you again I I always gather my things together and normally forget probably a matter of age my glasses we're going to back up as we read there's only there are only two verses that I'm wanting to get through today uh, verses one and two the first part of verse two but we've got to get a context for this and uh, so we're going to back up to chapter three verse 13 where we for several weeks considered the wise man and the foolish man And I want you to hear how all of this relates to what is going to happen in chapter 4 and the problems that come about when we do not choose God's wisdom. Let's pick it up with 3.13. You follow along. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But, and here's a foreshadowing of what is to come, chapter 4, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and selfish and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now remember, as this letter was originally written, there were no chapter divisions This was all one letter, and so James is going to continue this thought of wisdom sows peace, foolishness sows discord and strife. What causes quarrels? See, they were having a problem with warfare. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. 
You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealousy over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I said just a second ago that very little causes as much pain in the church of Jesus Christ as division and conflict. Look at your your worship guide and look at the quote down at the bottom of your quotes by John MacArthur. He says this, What the Lord laments and opposes, Satan applauds and fosters. Few things demoralize, discourage, and weaken a church as much as bickering, backbiting, and fighting among its members. Because of quarreling, the father is dishonored, the son is disgraced, his people are demoralized and discredited, and the world is turned off and confirmed in unbelief. Fractured fellowship robs Christians of joy and effectiveness, robs God of glory, and robs the world of the true testimony of the gospel. A high price, MacArthur says, for an ego trip. In fact, in another letter that Paul wrote, to arguably the most unspiritual, the most carnal, the most problem-infested church in the New Testament, he addresses huge sin problems in the church and finally warns the church of this. He's already been talking about these sin problems, but he stops and he creates a list and gives a warning. He says this, church, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? There are eternal consequences to allowing sin to remain. He says, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he adds something that is so important. He says, such were some of you. 
The very things that you're following, falling into, those used to be a pattern that you lived out, and it should not be that way. But guess what? With all of this list, and you read that, and you look at that, and by the way, it seems, doesn't it, so very countercultural. But among all of the sins, the grievous sins that this church was committing, what was the very first one that Paul addressed? Do you have any guesses based on the sermon today? Well, let's go back all the way to the first chapter and see what he says. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. Chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. I appeal to you, brothers. Now get this, because and, and we're, we're going to see this in a minute. Was James referring to just church members? There might have been some unregenerate church members. I think he was talking to Christians. Paul was. And so he said, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree. That stunning. And that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment, because it's been reported to me by Chloe's people. Now, these were not just idle gossips. They were going to Paul, saying there is a problem in the church and we must act on it. They weren't going around behind people's backs. What had been reported? That there is quarreling among you, my brothers. So let's go back on your outline to the big idea. What is the big idea of the message today? Now remember, you step back and look at the big idea of James. Authentic faith works. It grows. It reveals itself in practical, God-honoring, gospel-centered living. Not perfectly. But there is a growth process. So today, the big idea of the message is disagreement is inevitable. Conflict is optional. You might put a star by that and underlined it a couple of times. In order to manage and resolve conflict, you must recognize the true source and deal with selfish motives. So what causes, as James says in this passage of Scripture, wars and divisions and fights? Where in the world does this junk come from? Come on now. Because there are some of you sitting there, and you can hear the theology, and so it's kind of an abstract thing that you may agree in a way with what James is saying, but if I were to ask you, and you gave your first gut impression, you would say, Pastor, that's easy. It's the person sitting beside me. It's my husband causes all of the relational struggles in our marriage. It's my wife. Lord, if you could just fix her, I'd be okay. Some of you would say it's my brother or my, my sister who just, it just drives me 
absolutely crazy. Maybe it's a, a co-worker. Maybe it's a fellow church member. And these, and I dare say that, that you are an extremely spiritual person if you get what James is saying right out of the chute because it is so easy for all of us, my brothers and sisters, to fall into the blame game. But let's just see what James says in this passage of Scripture. Three things. I've got these written down, but let me give you three things in that little introductory thing. You don't have to write them down, but they're things that you need to think about before we get to the the, the three points of the sermon today. I said it a minute ago, it's in the big idea. And I want you to follow this because I really want you to buy into this. All right? Disagreement, I said a minute ago, is inevitable. Conflict is optional. Now, it's interesting that I read a a number of different things I always do. I will uh, copy off commentaries and books and things like that, Um, even from websites that I go to. I like to look at paper and scratch it up and write on it and then throw it away when I'm done with it and, and then write things down. But there were many, in fact, most of the commentators and the people who who, who said something about this used this phrase, conflict is inevitable. Now follow me, please, because I really believe, and we're going to back it up by proof texting from, that's a good thing if used correctly, backing it up and, and looking at what God says about this. It's very important that you see that disagreement is what is inevitable. Now, we're fallen, and so we're going to disagree, right? But even in our best moments, I, again, I dare say that there are any two people in this room. We love each other deeply and dearly. But I would guess that there are no people, two people in this room who agree on everything. And so that's why I say disagreement is the thing that's optional, but conflict, that added element, is that which is optional. Or if you want to say, I'm I'm going to give uh, those commentators who say conflict is inevitable, then I'll put it like this, okay? If conflict is inevitable, then combat is optional. Look at the Strzok quote. I've got some great quotes there. And I want you to look at what Alexander Strzok says. There is nothing wrong with Christians disagreeing with one another. Now, we're not talking about the core essentials. You remember the three tiers. And we'll go back this next week and review those. But there are certain things we go to the mat for. Jesus is the Son of God. He is divine. He is deity. We go to the mat for that. We're talking, about, we're talking about other things. We're talking about color of the carpet kinds of disagreement. And maybe even as we pull it in, maybe disagreements about what's going to happen in the end times. Or maybe nuances of this thing about how is a person saved. There's room for disagreement. Let's go on. He says, trying to persuade one another of the rightness of a particular position. I do that every Sunday. 
And what, what is always good, and this happens in our ABF class or it happens in here, sometimes some of you will come and you will disagree agreeably. I love that. I do not like it when people disagree disagreeably. I, I, I just don't like that. But when, when people will correct, I've had to come back and say, man, as I've studied this more, you're right, I was wrong. I misstated this. You know, disagreement is a good thing, he says. The rightness of a particular position. What is wrong, go on in the quote, however, is loveless conflict that ends in hate and bitterness. And so often in the church of Jesus Christ, that's what we see. Here's what I am positing for you today. Strife and conflict in the church is not... God's design. It is not His will. Now, it may be average, okay? The average church, and I'm not going to ask for a show show of hands, but the churches that you have been in, in the past, up to today, has there been not only disagreement, but strife and conflict. So it's average, but it's not normal. Okay? We don't want to live, listen to me, students, older people, those of us who are on the other end of, of that, entering the home st- stretch, we do not want to be average Christians. We want to be normal according to what the Word of God says. And God does not like strife and division. It is not His design. It is not His will. And and I'm afraid that sometimes we have gotten so used to it that it seems normal and so we accept it, but James did not. God abhors it, and we should too. We should have, James says this, we should have nothing to do with it. My brothers, These things, he says earlier in chapter 3 and verse 10, these things, and he's talking about the division of words in the mouth. He says, these things ought not to be so. Now, please hear me. Second thing. These these are all just introductory remarks. By the way, it's a snow day, so I really feel like I can go as long as I want. You know, we're kind of, we're casual today. You wore your boots. you're, You're in here, it's warm. Would you agree with that? <laughs> I'm kidding. It may be a few minutes longer. But. So th- these are introductory remarks. The first is disagreement is inevitable among those we love the most. But, but conflict is optional. Second thing that I want to say is an introductory remark. We are not talking about peace at any price. We're not talking about never saying anything about false teaching. We're not talking about never saying anything about sin in the church. There are things that are worth fighting for. Jude, the Lord's brother, reminds us of this in Jude, verses 3 and 4. Beloved, I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you, to contend 
For the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Here's why. Because certain people have crept in. They have come into the church, not only the local church, but the church at large in the books that sometimes you read and you show me and I cringe. Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into, now watch this because this is coming up as one of the sources that causes conflict and strife. People who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny the only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And and, and so here's what we believe at Heritage. You, You pray for your leaders who lead in this, but we're trying to help develop you to do this too. We want to contend for the faith without being contentious. Okay, did you hear that? And if you read the whole chapter of Jude, don't do that during the sermon. Do that this afternoon. You're going to be in anyway. You're going to go home and have a bowl of chili and stay in. But read the whole book of Jude because even a majestic angel did not rebuke the fallen entity when he was arguing. See, contending without being contentious. That that is what we are after, disagreeing agreeably. Uh, Here's what Paul says, and then James backs it up, rather speaking the truth in love. Sometimes love will be uncomfortable, okay? Let's just write it down. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. But wisdom from above is first of all pure. We read it a minute ago. Did you notice? Peaceable and all of the rest of those kinds of things. There's a third thing that I want to say by way of introduction. And and this may sound different to you, but I think you can bear this out. It's very important. Not only disagreement is inevitable, conflict is optional. We're not talking about peace at any price. We must contend for the faith without being contentious. But the third introductory statement is we must learn that every, listen, every disagreement is a test. Children, please, if you're distracted, I want you to listen to me for a minute. As you grow up, your parents are watching. Your teachers are watching. Your bosses are watching. And every disagreement is a test. And it's especially that way in the church of Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul says. And again, this, is, this may sound rather obscure, but it is vital that we get this. Paul has just chided the church at Corinth about divisions. He is not for them. He said, for the infer- in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. This is a strong word that means to split There's the kind of spirit among you that if you're not careful, you're going to have a church split or a splinter. That's not a good thing. But then he he changes directions, and he also changes words. And I believe it in part that there must be, this is strong, factions. That's a different word. 
That means disagreements. People that are in a different camp. There must be these disagreeing parties among you. Why? So that in order though that those who are genuine, another word is approved among you, may be recognized. Do you know that that is one of the primary ways that authorities over you will be looking to see if you are approved? Do you, do you understand? We, we have that, see that list of elders? One of the qualifications of an elder, I'll get to this in just a minute, has to do with his peaceable nature. You watch in the church, we certainly do. You watch how people in personal disagreements, and I'm talking about husband and wife disagreements, disagreements within their family. Watch how they handle that. That's what Paul says in the requirements for the elder. So that when they have passed the test, they are approved, they may be recognized. Disagreements. See those as tests so that you can be tried and found to be the real deal. Okay? I didn't think the introduction would take that long. Okay, we're going to have to move more quickly through these because we're coming back next week. We've got to get to some of these other things that are caused by the, 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 the disagreements leading to factions. All right? So let's look at the first one. The problem defined, we are at war with each other because we are at war with them, with ourselves. Now, there are two things going on here in the first part of verse 1. Follow me. Quarrels and wars. Or quarrels or wars and fights. What causes, he says, quarrels and what causes fights among you? Two different words, and, and this, this is so insightful. The first word is the, the general word for war. The second word is like a specific fight. Okay, are, are you tracking? So, let me give you a, an illustration. World War II was the general war. The Battle of Midway was a specific fight. Okay? So he's saying in the church that he recognizes that there is this general attitude or atmosphere. By the way, hang on, that's not just for the church. It's for individuals. It's for couples. It's for families. And he says there, there's a cause going on here. For this general atmosphere of warfare or warring or quarreling and then the specific fights, the blow-ups. But he specifically says, among you. Now, that could mean among you as a church, and I'm thinking that that is the primary meaning, but it also has the reference among you. I know that and Paul did this in various occasions. I hear that this, these two ladies are, are struggling. They're fighting with each other. He called them out in the book of Philippians. So it's not just the general atmosphere that permeates and the fights that break out. It could be individuals, like I said a minute ago. Could be going on at home. Could be outside the four walls of the church and 
usually is. So do you understand the two different things that are going on? General atmosphere, specific situations. Last week I told a story of a friend. I'll go back to that story because it aptly illustrates this, and then I'll try to broaden the circle. My friend had a dad that another friend asked him this question about his dad. Why is your dad always in a bad mood? I, I don't know what was going on with that man, but there, there are some people, that when you're around them, not just men, but women, there is this general atmosphere of warfare. And even that, that young boy recognized it. Why is your dad always in a bad mood? Somebody that grows up in an environment like that, and it, it could be a household. Have you guys ever had the experience of walking into a home? Now, this can be the other way, too. You walk into a home, and there's this atmosphere of love and acceptance, and, and just they, they draw you in, and there's this, I'm glad you're here. And how, how that attracts you, and you want to be around that, don't you? But there's another atmosphere, and sometimes you can almost cut it with a knife when you walk into a home and there's this general atmosphere of quarreling and warfare that's going on. And you may, if you hang out a long, a long enough time, you may even see an individual skirmish or a fight. Sometimes it's a glance when the husband or the wife says something, and it's a glance, maybe when the child says something or receives something, but it's that, that, that atmosphere that then leads to that fight. And it doesn't take long to see it. And I think James is talking about well, what's the, he's saying what is the cause. I, I'm just telling you the symptom. I think every one of us should ask the question, what, what kind of a person do people see me as? Am I that kind of person that, that they don't want to be around me because I've just got that grumpy, that, that bad attitude kind of thing? And I'm talking about Christians. Is my home that kind of home? Is my marriage the kind of marriage where people are, oh, Boy, I'm uncomfortable being around that. Or the other, I, I love being around that. Even when they make mistakes, there's this, this general sense of loving and reaching out. So that's the general statement. What is the cause? What's the cause? I said a minute ago, the easiest thing to do is to point the finger and do the blame game. Let's go through these three things. Conflict is caused by uncontrolled desires for pleasure. He, he, James nails it. In the next part of verse 1, he says, Your passions are at war within you. That word passions, it's an interesting word. It's the Greek word, I don't do this a lot, but it's just such an interesting word. The Greek word from which we get our word hedonist or hedonism. Are you guys familiar with that? Do you know what hedonism is? It is a philosophy, now get this, it is a philosophy of life. I, did, I, I looked it up in a regular dictionary, 
I just put hedonism in Google search. That could be dangerous. I'm telling you, it, it really, really could be. I, I saw an advertisement there for entire resorts. Now, don't go look at these things. But entire resorts, that, that is their name. And they, they take their name seriously. Hedonism. Various parts of the world. And they are there. This is what hedonism does to cater to every sensual, fleshly desire that you can think of in your mind. They're there to satisfy. And that's what hedonism is. Paul uses this word. This is incredible. He says, what's the source of the conflicts, this warring, this atmosphere? It's it's not out there. It's inside you. And this warring is going on inside of you, Christian, because of these hedonistic desires. And James, he says, what's the cause among you? It's something within you. He recognizes these conflicts are so real for every Christian in this room. And do not believe that once you become a Christian, we can go back and forth debating this whole thing about the old nature being dead, but I'll tell you, I can relate. We'll throw a couple of scriptures up here. Uh, Romans 6, we're not going to look at all of these for the interest of time, but write these down. Romans 6, 12 through 13. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. That you should obey its passions. Paul wouldn't say that unless there was some kind of a struggle. Now, he knew firsthand because later on in Romans 7, he talks about that struggle. He says, I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. But I find this struggle inside of me where I do the very things that I hate. Can anybody else here relate to that but me? Sometimes after an episode and you yield to that fleshly desire, you end up saying like Paul, wretched man that I am. Come back and preach the gospel to yourself. We're going to come to that at the end. But that is a very, very real, intense struggle for the child of God. It is a biblical reality. So there is a conflict within. The reason that there are wars outside externally is because there is warfare going on in in each of us. Okay? James says that first. All right, let's move on to the second thing. Conflict is caused by, and all of these are kind of intertwined. So I don't want to separate them out too much, but we're going to deal with them individually. Conflict is caused by unfulfilled lusts. This is a different word. It's actually a little bit stronger word. And so he says this, you desire, you lust. By the way, let me say this. This is a normal desire. This could be a desire for anything that is neutral. All right? It's any kind of strong desire or longing of any kind. Takes it a step further. Now, Paul also addresses Timothy. 
in 2 Timothy 2, 22 through 23, what does he say to do this? Run from it. Run from it. The, these things that can be fulfilled, well, run to God to fulfill any kind of need that you have that's a legitimate need, but run from those passions when you're looking to a sensual, fleshly way to fulfill Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, he said. And I, you know, I just watch the news. Illustrations. I mean, look what's happening in the world, but look what's happening in Oklahoma City. Did you see the the thing the other night? This is a perfect example of this. Among lost people, I'm guessing... Maybe that guy was a Christian, but in Norman, a 79-year-old man was trying to park at a Taco Bell. There was a younger guy who was taking up two handicapped places. He did not have a handicapped sticker. So the older man just asked him to move his car, and he went inside. He was a regular. This guy comes in and sucker punches him bleeding on the brain, broken jaw that had to be wired shut. And that is a perfect example of when those strong desires are frustrated. You desire and you do not have. That young man did not have what was his desire to park anywhere he wanted to. And so what did he do? He committed murder. Now, the guy didn't die. And you say, well, I've never committed murder Jesus had a different take. Please don't hear me say, if you've had the thought, it's the same as committing murder. I'd rather you call me an idiot than to take a gun and shoot me. Really. But Jesus said it it, it all has that same starting place. This this is, you, you covet, you lust, you desire, you don't have. So this is what you do. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. It it, it just, it's everywhere. And I dare say that that, uh, well, he says fool, but another translation says idiot. These are stronger and stronger words. Angry, insults, and finally idiot. I was wondering today on the way in, and I didn't encounter any drivers that made me think that uh, because there was nobody on the road. But I wonder, I just wonder to myself, I wonder if idiot isn't the favorite word of people, Christians who drive and who don't get what they want when they're driving. I just wonder. I said something about qualifications of an elder a minute ago. You know what one of those qualifications is? Not, now I I love the King James translation. Not pugnacious. A pugilist is one who fights, fist fights. Not a striker. In other words, an elder is one that should not be ready to fight at the drop of a hat. And I've been in churches. I have one particular church in mind wherein they didn't have elders. But in the deacons meeting, it was like that atmosphere. I hated, as a staff member, I was a youth pastor, I hated to go to those meetings because 
you could bet that if this one man, if he was crossed in any way, it was this explosion of wrath. Galatians is pretty clear about outbursts of anger. Those who live that kind of lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, basically, it begins within. Let's look at the last thing here. Ah, I'll save this for a minute. Conflict is caused by selfish and unmet desires. See, that's very, very closely related. But this word covet is stronger still yet. We get our word zealot from it. So you are zealous for something you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Look at the Ken Sandy quote. Second down. The root cause of conflict is unmet desire in our heart. When we want something and feel that we will not be satisfied unless we get it, that desire starts to control us. If others fail to meet our desires, we sometimes condemn them in our hearts and fight harder to get our own way. Now, again, remember, you and I are creatures of desire. God made us this way. God created you with a a capacity to desire. It's good to desire. It's right to desire. In fact, there would be something wrong with you if you did not desire. But it's only when most of those legitimate desires become selfish desires. And then they become obsessions. And they dominate us and lead us to reject God's way to satisfy a legitimate desire. We choose our own selfish way. There there is a portion I quoted out of Jude, one chapter, and it is an incredible little chapter. But in Jude 11, it talks about three guys in the Old Testament. Different ways that fell into this. Jude 11. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. They perished in Korah's rebellion. Well, that's pretty much the gamut of it. Cain was a religious man. He brought his offerings to the Lord But he had a problem. I don't want to do it God's way. I'm going to do this my way and still be religious. He still brought his sacrifice to the Lord. He, He changed God's requirements. And jealousy consumed him, and he committed the first murder, literally. Balaam was a prophet, again, a religious man. It's interesting how that, that in this illustration, religious men, part of the covenant community, are picked. Balaam, a prophet who let greed cause him to compromise God's word. And he came to a sad, sad ending. And then lastly, Korah's rebellion. Korah was, do you know that Korah was the great grandson of Levi? He was of the Levitical priesthood. 
and yet he had a problem with authority. And he said, I do not like the way you're leading, Moses. I know better. We're going to do it my way. And God said, uh, no, you're not. And I would say this to, to, to all of us here today, even having a godly heritage, godly parents is no guarantee of godly behavior. So just remember this principle. Whatever des desire rules your heart will ultimately control your words and your behavior. Here's what I want you to do as we end this. Respond honestly to this question or this statement. If only I could have, and then fill in the blank, if only I could have, and fill in the blank, then my life would be fill in the blank. What did you fill in the blanks with and why? What does that reveal about your heart's desires? Where are you struggling with a lack of peace? And maybe your idea of getting away from the struggle is just to run from it. The way to have peace, you're never going to get away from the struggles in this life, is to put yourself into the cleft of the rock. And who is the cleft of the rock? It's Jesus. That's why in John 16, he said, I said these things to you that in me, you, you, we miss those words, in me, you've got to be in me. How do you get in me? By repenting of your sins and trusting in me as a person and what I've done on Calvary's cross to forgive you of your sins. So if you're in me, you can have peace. Because in the world you're going to have tribulation, but get in me because I am the cleft of the rock. We have met the enemy. And he is us. But the answer is the gospel. To be in Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you. That James cut a very straight line. He cuts through a lot of the, the modern day fog that permeates our thinking so often. And we end up squirreling off of your path because of selfish desires and unfulfilled lusts, unmet expectations. And we end up warring when we ought to be at peace. Oh God, may we find our peace in you internally so that externally we would be at peace with one another. Help us for those who maybe have come in today and they do not know Jesus Christ. Put their, their total trust and their faith in Jesus. For those of us who do know Jesus, I pray that we would be peace seekers in Jesus Christ. And that you would help us not only to find that peace with Him, but that peace with others as well. Father, I thank you for this time of responding. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Would you please stand? And, and as you respond, of course, right there where you are, but if you need someone to pray with you, I, I'll be here. And there, there are others. I'd be more than happy to take the time to pray with you or talk with you about these things that we have studied today in God's Word. Let's sing this hymn of response, this song of response, and then after a benediction, you'll be dismissed.
when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Beloved, we are now children of God. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when Christ appears, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You are dismissed.